0: wonderful to be together. This morning we're carrying on in a series on Jonah. We're nearly done. You can start turning there so long. We're looking at the last chapter. We're in chapter four. I think if we're honest, including myself, it's not a chapter that many of us have sat in and meditated on. I think uh, when we think of Jonah, we think of the big fish and all that comes with that and uh, none of our repenting. Hopefully a few other things that you've sort of caught and gleaned over the series, but not necessarily chapter 4. But this final chapter, friends, has some of the most relevant and important points for us that this book has to offer. So we're looking at chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to just be looking at the first four verses as sort of a section within itself. And so if you're there, should also be up behind me. There we go. I'm reading from verse 1. Just remember the context that Jonah preached to Nineveh reluctantly, but finally made it there, and they repent, and God shows them mercy. He relents from showing them disaster, and so now we pick up where Jonah's at in verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly what God had done, the mercy he had shown them, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, that you are merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, Lord, actually, just rather please take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Is it right, Jonah, that you are angry? So friends, last week we saw how Jonah preached the sermon of all sermons to a whole city, a whole city, and they repented. If anything, this book should land with just one verse, and Jonah went away rejoicing, rejoicing at the fruit of his ministry, at what God had done. But as we've just read, it was the exact opposite. It was the exact opposite. Why didn't Jonah rejoice? Why didn't he go back to the city and teach them more about this God that had just shown them mercy and and helped them to truly be converted and become followers of God? Why? To answer that question, we have to consider then what is this passage doing? What is this passage doing? Why was it written? And I believe it's this. This passage was written, friends, to warn us. It was written to warn us, to warn the Israelites as they would read and come to know of the story. It was written to warn us against the very thing Jonah was struggling with that caused his outburst. And the warning I believe it gives us is this. That this passage is warning us against the relationships or against the things in our lives, even good relationships or good things, especially good relationships or good things that threaten to take the place of God in our lives. That's what it was warning us against. Essentially, this passage was saying, be aware Church of your heart idols. Be aware of your heart idols. Become aware of the relationships or the things in your life that you are building up or have built up that has taken the place of God in your life. Relationships are things where you are desperately trying to find your joy, your security, your satisfaction, your identity, especially your identity outside of your relationship with Jesus. It's so warning us against those things that we value more than God. It's something every believer struggles with, friends. It's something we will be tempted with on a daily basis. And especially when the crisis comes, then all is exposed. When the bottom falls out, When the tragedy occurs, when the loss happens, when the diagnosis comes, then we find ourselves reeling, desperate, despairing, angry, bitter. Why? Because our idols, the illusions, the expectations we have placed on these things or these people fail us because they will fail us. That's the truth this morning, friends. They will fail us. They will fail you. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But eventually, they will fail you. Anything and anyone that you are putting above God or in place of God will ultimately fail you. They will not be enough. Beware your heart idols. Become aware of your heart idols. This this is not a suggestion this morning. This passage, friend, is making, is making a demand on us this morning to become aware of the idols of our heart. It's saying to us this morning, look at this man, Jonah. Don't look at him with judgment. Look at him with humility. We are Jonah. You and I are Jonah. Look at this man and the way he responded to God and realize that maybe this morning, there's some things in your heart and mind that aren't right either. Friends, God was exposing in Jonah his heart, his heart idol. He was showing us, showing Jonah, this is what's really inside you. That's why he responded the way he did. And so I mentioned, good things often become our idols, but how do we know when something good how do you know when a God given reality or person or relationship is becoming an idol? And so this morning I want to help us by looking at and asking us one question. That's all we're going to do this morning. We're just going to ask ourselves one question that I believe this passage is helping us to ask. And it's this What is your non negotiable in your life? What is your non negotiable thing or relationship? What is your non negotiable? What, what's that relationship? that thing in your life that for you is sacred, that for you defines you. And it may be more than one thing, that for you, if you're honest, you find all of or part of your value there, your worth there, your identity there. Let me try and help us uh, in this way. And remember this morning, I'm not talking about healthy responses to a crisis or a tragedy or a challenge. God, God never expects us to go numb. If we face a loss or a tragedy, of course there's mourning and there's grief and there's healthy response. If we face a challenge, of course we can feel a moment of what, what's going on now. But I'm talking about when you hear of someone who's maybe lost their child, one of the greatest tragedies we could imagine. There's healthy mourning, there's healthy grief. But maybe for you, your response is, God, if you allowed that, I just got to be honest, if you allowed that, God, I, I, don't, I don't know where, where I'd go. If I lost my kids, I don't know who I'd be. And God, I don't know how I'd be able to look at you again. Or maybe you hear of a friend who's lost their husband or their wife or their marriage has fallen apart. Or a financial crisis that has come. Or, or a diagnosis, a sickness or, or ruin. Or a reputation that has been dragged through the mud unjustly. And your thought, your honest thought is, God, if that had to happen to me, if you allowed that or if you did that, God, you might as well take my life because I wouldn't want to carry on or I wouldn't know who I am actually, God. And in that moment, you start realizing that maybe this thing or that person is taking the place of an idol in your life. Friends, this morning, we have to we have to go there. We have to consider our families. We have to consider our children. We have to consider our marriages, our husband, our wife, our friendships. We have to consider our work, our careers. We have to consider our wealth, our legacies that we've maybe built, our roles in the church that we hold on to so dearly, or our roles that we have played in the church, our ministries, or our health. That we prize so greatly that God has blessed us with. Good things. But when these things or relationships are threatened or lost, friends, if we are honest, and maybe this morning you are there already. Maybe this morning you are there where something so deeply important to you is being threatened or has been lost. And if you're honest, maybe you're going, God, I don't, I don't know how I move past this. I don't know how you and I, God, move past this. Actually, it's better you rather take me, God, like Jonah said. It's better you rather take my life. I, if I don't have this, you rather take me. I'm sure you're probably sitting there this morning wishing I'd stayed overseas. Why would I come back and uh, <laughs> preach my first message back on idolatry? But friends, this... This is so important, and it's is the, the beauty of expository preaching. This is not the passage I would have chosen to preach this morning back to you, but this is our passage we have, and it's so important, friends. It's so important that we ask ourselves these tough questions. It's so important that we consider these realities, because the crisis will come, the tragedy will occur, the bottom will fall out, and in that moment, if you are holding on to your idol and the cracks begin to occur, you will be driven like Jonah to total despair or anger or bitterness. And you will lose yourself because you are in that moment losing a part of yourself. And there are many faithful men and women throughout the ages who have gone so numb to God. Because when they lost their idol friends, they actually lost themselves because God wasn't their everything. And So maybe this morning, this will save your life, this message. That's why we have to go through this. And I understand that, say, Phil, well, why aren't we talking about the bad things that become idols? And there's many things that we can give ourselves to that are just bad things and addictions and these things. And, but often those are easier to recognize. I think most of you would be comfortable if I just spoke about bad things. You say, no, Phil, I, I get you. I understand that. No, I know that's unhealthy. I'm working on it. I'm aware of it. I'm speaking to some people. But the good things. Maybe you're sitting there this morning already. say, Phil. Be careful now. Don't go there. Don't talk about my family, my marriage, my work. That's 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 me. For you're talking about me now. Don't don't go there. And friends, I'm not going there. God goes there. And we have to go there. We have to go there, friends. Because it's the good things that often we lose ourselves to. And we begin to worship the gifts, the people. Instead of the one who gave us these things. For Jonah, it was, it was his nationalistic pride. That's what it was for Jonah. It was a good thing. He loved Israel. He was so passionate about Israel. He was devoted to Israel. There's nothing wrong with wanting good for your country, for his land. A God called out people. But he had made Israel his identity. He had valued her more than the God of Israel, and that was the problem. And so we see in verse 1, friends, he becomes angry. He becomes angry, lashes out at God. He was exceedingly angry. The Bible's specific of words it puts there. Exceedingly. He was livid. He was livid. He was so angry, friends, because what God had done, showing mercy to the us, it had put Israel in a way to us, it, had demeaned in a way, her reputation, and therefore it had hit to the very core of who he was. He was an Israelite. Israel and her reputation were of far greater importance than God. In verse 2, he uses God's words against God. This this was not impending. Jonah, there was no one else around. Jonah wasn't proclaiming the wonders of God. He was throwing God's words from Exodus 34 back to God to say to him, you see, this is why I didn't want to go because you are soft on sin and justice because you're so gracious and kind and you relent from disaster. What are you doing, God? That's what he did. He threw God's words back to God to justify his idolatry. But he didn't carry on the rest of that verse, which God himself goes on to say, God will by no means, I will by no means clear the guilty. God is not soft on sin and justice. That's why Jesus came. Every sin had to be punished. All the sin of the Ninevites was ultimately dealt with on the cross. He is not soft on sin. He is not soft on justice. But Jonah... The prophet of God, he goes and twists God's words and takes just a part of it to justify his idolatry and throws it back in the face of God. So strong. Do you see how dangerous heart idols are, friends? See how dangerous this is. Be careful how you read your Bible. Be careful how you read your Bible. Friends, be careful how you justify Giving your life to this thing or these people or at every cost saying, no, this is my everything. But look, God, you say this. Or look, God, you say that. We've all done it, friends. Know what God's word is saying. Know God. If a prophet of God can do that, don't think, friends, that we won't quickly, when that idol is so strong, justify ourselves with his word. Jonah would rather die than see an enemy of Israel pardoned. Tim Keller helps us here. He says, when Jonah says he wants to die, we see that Jonah's real problem was at the deepest level of his heart. It wasn't some big theological issue of Israel and mercy. It was a heart problem. It was his heart for God. When Jonah says, in effect, without that, I have no desire to go on, he means he has lost something that had replaced God as his joy, reason, and love of his life. He had lost that, 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 that Israelite kind of judgmental, we are the everything reality by God showing mercy to Nineveh. And for him, he would rather die than carry on living if this is how God was going to be. He had a type of relationship with God, but there was something he valued more. He he was so strong in his devotion to Israel, but so weak in his love for God. Friends, be honest with yourselves this morning. What's your heart idol? For me, a, a big one, obviously we have it's not always just one, but for me a big one was work. For most of my life. I was a hard worker and I felt like I was built to work hard and but ah, work had to be my meaning. I just, for some reason, from a young boy even, a young man, I just needed to find work that I felt that would give me my identity. So I was desperate to do a job or a ministry or something. God, send me somewhere that's just crazy and amazing That you are and I'll die for you even. I'll sacrifice my whole family and die for you in some foreign country if that's the work you give me because then... Then I'll have some value and some worth. God in his sovereignty has had me in kitchen cupboards for the last 20 years. (laughs) But even in that, friends, I've sought to run away, escape, prayed for bankruptcy even so I could go into something else try to adjust it and modify it, try to say to God, well, if this is it, then it must look like this or it must mean I do something like that great or this. And all that it was was me saying, God, I'm desperate. This is where I'm going to find my identity. I'd read autobiography after autobiography. They'd say, see, these men, that's where they find their identity. That's who they are. This is what I need, God. And God is so patient with us, which at times can uh, it's not always the greatest thing because he'll just wait. And uh, years and years go by, but he's so gracious. And slowly but surely, as God shatters your framework and your idols and all these things, friends, I'm slowly learning to find my identity, not in what I do. I'm not what I do. And God is so gracious and kind, friends. But what's your heart, idol? And i bring it all up again, friends, because we have to go there. Is it your family this morning? Is it your kids? To you, being a mom or a dad, is that your? Is that who you are? Without that, God, I would not know who I am. Is it being a husband or wife? If if your marriage fell apart or you didn't have your husband or wife anymore, it would be, well, who am I apart from them? They define me. Like who? Who am I then? Is it your work? Is it your career? Is it your legacy you've maybe built? Is it? Your roles in the church? Is it your wealth? Is it your health? Friends, these are all good things. <laughs> all things that Scripture speaks to. Work is good. Any type of work is good. Relationships are beautiful and good. Creating wealth is, is a wonderful thing. It's done well and in a healthy way. Careers and, and working service serving passionately in the church is good friends, but when we start to make demands on these things that in you I'm finding my identity, that's when things begin to crumble. And you know what happens when the crisis comes, when they are threatened, when the crack begins to form in these idols, it begins to fracture your relationship with God and others. If you have put that onto your wife, that you are my everything. You give my, me my reason for being on to your kids. When, they, when the moments come, when it's threatened or loss, when they can't deliver on what you are needing them to deliver on, it fractures and it starts to shatter your relationship with God and them. And you're driven to fight like Jonah, or you're driven to despair, to anger, to bitterness, to hopelessness. God asked Jonah in verse 4, is it right for you to feel this way? God's asking us this morning, friends, maybe you're there this morning. Or maybe tomorrow it's going to happen, or a year from now. Or maybe just as I've been talking, God's just been highlighting something. And just as you've played through some hypotheticals in your mind and heart, you've gone, yeah, I'm there, God. I, I, I can't actually say that. I wouldn't respond like Jonah. I wouldn't go down that road. God's saying, is it right that you feel that way? You've made this thing an idol. You've made this of greater value than than me. Is it right that you feel this way? Remember, I'm not talking about having strong feelings or uh, when, when things happen or crisis comes and feeling that the depth of that loss or uh, the challenges, it's not feelings are good. It's when those feelings come from a place of fear and insecurity because that personal thing was actually where you found your identity or purpose or value. Friends, that is idolatry. That is idolatry. Is it right that you feel that way? The answer is no. It's not right. It's not right. There should only ever be one non-negotiable in our lives, friends. There should only be ever one person we lift up and worship and value above all else, and that's Jesus Christ. I love it how God is so kind to us sometimes, and just how Maria started us this morning with, Are you thirsty? What are you thirsting after? And you know, you know, idols, they won't satisfy that thirst. It's like drinking a fizzy drink when, you, when you're desperately thirsty. It might give that moment of relief, but it actually makes you thirstier. But because all it's doing is showing actually how desperately you need the real thing to sustain you. That's what idols do, friends. These songs that we sang this morning. So many of us. If we're honest, we can't genuinely actually sing those songs. You're all that I desire, you're all that I need. I don't come to you for the blessing or the gift. I come to you for you. Friends, but that's where God's wanting to take us, and it is a journey. Can I encourage you this morning? It is a journey. I'm on that journey. You're on that journey. Jonah was on that journey. His repentance in the fish was genuine. It was genuine, friends. But there was much deeper work that had to be done in this man, as obviously we see in chapter four. And it's the same with us. But as long as we are moving forward on this journey and not backwards. And when the idols are exposed, even now as you realize I've been living in an illusion, a construct. My narrative of life is actually I've created it. It's not real. And it's going to fail you when you recognize that, friends. Then where do we go with that? Where do we go with that? And don't go down a rabbit hole then of despair or guilt because that's not the gospel. Where do we go with it? In this passage, it gives us hope. This passage gives us hope. It's in verse 4. You know what the hope is? Remember when you read the Bible, it's not just what is this text saying, it's how is it saying it. You know how God responded? With gentleness to Jonah. That's not how, if my son threw words back into my face, I think I would struggle to respond (laughs) with gentleness. I don't think I'd be able to say lovingly, do you think it's right that you? But that's how God responds to us, friends. That's the gospel. And so I want you to walk away this morning with an encouragement, not just the warning. Yes, be aware, come to be aware of what your heart idols are, but with this, the encouragement that God will never stop fighting for you. He didn't stop fighting for Jonah. He could have left this man. Now we see the very words that Jonah threw back in his face from Exodus 34. That is how God responded to Jonah. He was gracious and merciful and slow to get angry and he relented from bringing upon Jonah what should have happened in that moment. Death and hell, essentially. Now he relented. And he engages with him. And we see later on in this passage how he continues to engage with him, to try and help him, to try to unpack, to, to say, Jonah, get to know who I am for you, for you. Friends, God will never stop fighting for you. If you are in that place this morning, if God's exposing things this morning, know that he is fighting for you. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you're hearing this message this morning, because he is fighting for your heart. He is jealous for your heart. Christ didn't just come to save you from hell. No, he came for you. Before the foundation of the world was formed, he chose you, friend. You are not your family. You are not your name. You are not your legacy or your health or your career or your work. No, you are a sinner saved by grace, which means you are a child of the living God chosen. Which means you're a son and daughter of the Most High. That's who you are. And God wants you to know that so that then everything else can come into right alignment with that reality, with the reality that Christ is your everything. Then your marriage and your children and your work and ministry and all these things, reputation, good things come into alignment, right alignment, right submission to God. So when they are threatened or lost, as hard and tragic as it might be, it doesn't have to shatter you. It actually draws you closer to Jesus. And you say, Jesus, thank you that you are enough for me. And friends, I know. I know that for some of us, if we're honest, we're scared. Because we, we don't actually really know if we believe Jesus is enough for us. And if we're honest, if we let go of this illusion, this idol that we've constructed, Will he actually be able to satisfy me? Will he actually be able to give me the identity? Will I actually feel worthwhile? Who will I be without this thing or this person? Will he be able to do that? Will he be able to satisfy me? And I hope, I hope that maybe this morning you see, this is who God is. Give your life to Him. He's worth giving everything to. And I can tell you, from Genesis to Revelation, from 2,000 years of church history, from the beginning of time, He is enough for His creation. He is enough for you. He is enough for you. And I hope by His grace, He can help you to start believing that as He did for me. You start believing what he says about himself and what he says about you. And you start believing that for yourself, friends. He is enough for you. And he won't stop fighting for you. Church, lay down the idols this morning. Lay them down. And I know it doesn't all just happen in a moment. But start this journey. Come to Jesus this morning. what he says to you. It's come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. All who just are are burdened with this. It is so tiring to carry our idols because they don't do anything for us. We have to prop them up. We have to try and fix the cracks when they form. It is so tiring, friends, because we know deep down that they don't really, they aren't enough for us, that they will fail us. Jesus says, come to me with all of it and rather lay it down and take My yoke. Take my burden. Because it is light and it is easy. And learn from me. Because you know what you'll find? You'll find rest for your souls. And Jesus would say to each of you this morning. I want you to know. That at the core of my being is Jesus Christ. Is that I am gentle. And lowly in heart. Friends this morning like he was with Jonah, he is coming to you as a gentle, loving Savior, saying, let's start these conversations. Let me help you lay down these idols so that you can know and come to fullness of life in me. I am enough for you. I will be enough for you. I will be able to give you all that you need. I'll be able to meet your deepest desires and more. I'm more than enough. You haven't even begun to know and experience who I am. But come to me. Come to me. Friends, don't try and deal with this yourself. (laughs) Draw near to Jesus this morning and find rest for your souls. And I pray for us. Jesus, this morning has just been a such a sober time, Lord, and even now if you could just hear a pin drop God at the reality of is that the sense of your presence amongst us, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us, God now. And that as much as a warning has come, Father. Maybe even rebuke and challenge and things have been exposed, God. More than anything else, God, what you are showing us this morning is who you are, God. Through Jonah's life, we see who you are, God. We see ourselves in Jonah. But God, we see you this morning. Jesus, we want to pray and ask that you would forgive us. This morning, ask God to forgive you now. Forgive me, God, for making these things or these people or this person an idol. Forgive me, God, for finding my identity, my self-worth, my value, my, my reason for being in things, good things, relationships, and not in you, Jesus. Forgive me, for God, for how I've maybe even spoken to you over the years, justifying my idolatry. Forgive me for how I've gotten angry with you or bitter towards you or how I've gone numb towards you, God, because I've lost or things have been threatened and I just, I don't know who I am. God, thank you. Thank you that there is such grace here this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that because of you and the cross and your love, thank you that we can draw back and come near to you this morning, Jesus, that we can freely approach your throne of grace and find grace and mercy to help us this morning, Jesus. Jesus, I pray for every person here this morning that you would draw us in, that what you have begun this morning, God, That you would continue, that you would continue to expose, that you would continue to reshape, that you would continue to teach us of yourself, and that Jesus, our testimony, would be as a people, that God, you are enough. It's not just something we say, but it's something we believe. It's what we live, Jesus, that you are enough, Jesus Christ. And that because of that, we can go out into this broken, desperate, idolatrous world and say, don't give your life to that Jesus, and he alone is enough and he alone can satisfy that deep thirst and longing in your heart Jesus we want to drink from you Jesus and thank you that what we will find is real living water we love you God amen